Live from Utrecht. This is Bitcoin. Explained. Hey, George. What's up? So, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on the Alexei Petrov trial. And before we get into the main in the main topic of this episode, which is going to be false, I want to ask you, so you went to the, the second pro format this week. I was there for a little bit, but I had to go halfway. You were there for the whole thing, I think. Is there any news for our listeners that they should... Did it? Did anything change about the, the trial source or... Not much changed. What, the, he still has to wait for another couple of months. I think they uh, they opened his laptop a few days before that hearing. So they'll, they're going to need some time to look into that, I guess. Yeah, I think the only new thing that I heard while I was still there was... So the prosecutors now suspect that he was himself running a relayer. Yeah, so, they suspect that and they're denying that. The defense is denying oh, that. Oh, Alexei yeah. is denying that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that that probably happened after I was gone. Probably, yeah. Also, it probably doesn't really matter in the in the scheme of things, right? That's not really why they were after him in the first place. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what was in the dossier when they arrested him, so... All right. Well, thanks, George, for that final update. You wanted to read some boosts as well before we get to the actual right. that's, that's topic focus. du jour. Focus on happy thoughts. Yes, we got one boost from at MRMR, or Mr. Mr., I guess. Thumbs up, exclamation mark. And then we got another boost from Mr. at MRMR for also 8,421 sats with the words thumbs up, dot. So sure. one with an exclamation mark and one with a, with a dot. Sure, reading out boosts is not my favorite part of the of the show do we need to keep doing this is How? this paying us enough exactly this is this is what, what <laughs> this pays is, our bills not mine <laughs> when is my paycheck coming shorts i'm sending you the, the split every uh, couple months because it's too much work you should just run your own node oh so you want to keep reading the boosts going forward definitely until you run your own node <laughs> okay so that's gonna be forever if it's if it has to be a lightning node yeah, that's sure. Faults. Let's let's just get to the topic of the day. Actually, I I'm not sure if we're gonna discuss faults in general, or are we gonna focus more on upfault? Yeah, is we're gonna we're gonna focus on upfault, which I think we accidentally spelled in the French way. So hopefully that'll get fixed, and uh, we may cover some some uh, faults in general. But upfault is a specific proposal by James O'Byrne. Wait, so how do you spell fault, yours? Oh, no, actually, you spelled it correctly. Yeah, I think I did. All right. So, yeah, th there's a proposal by James O'Byrne, which is a specific type of vault. And I guess, what 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 is a vault in, in very general terms? Can you explain? I like to describe it as a method to give you a undo button, at least temporarily, for a Bitcoin transaction. So it's like RBF. Well, RBF is a very, very short-term undo button. That's true, yes. But with RBF, you, you know, you can undo... If somebody hacks your keys and you still have your own keys, then you they, they'll make a transaction stealing your coins. You then make another transaction that pays a higher fee with or without the RBF flag, and you keep racing each other that way. But with faults, in general, the idea is that you'll have more time to do that. And generally also it's less easy for the thief to just keep bidding up the fees. Yeah, I, I will say I think undo is a little bit confusing because that's not really what you're doing with most fault designs. Right? No, I well, guess with with, uh, with RBF, you're really undoing it, but you're effectively undoing the damage. 
So the way that's done, we'll, we'll explain that, of course, but the general purpose is that you, you see a transaction happening, you even see it on the blockchain, but you still have, and you didn't want that transaction to happen, but you still have a way to get that money back until a certain time window expires. Yeah, well, I think this is a good time to get a little bit more specific. So I think most fault designs, if not all fault designs, I think work in a specific way where you, you put your coins essentially in what you would call a vault. And then the only way to withdraw it, like withdrawing is a process. And during that process, you have an option to send these coins that are being potentially. So if you see they're being stolen, you can send them to another vault. That or back to the same vault. Yeah, exactly. So so the way that would... Yeah, you say back to the same vault. Well, that would the, get you in a, in a problem if the thief just does it again. Right, right but, that's never useful, right? Like, why would you ever want that? You would always want to send it to a new vault, essentially, right? Probably. Maybe there's some, some in-between case where that's okay to send it back. But the gen general idea how you how you might do that is <clears throat> you sent, first you just send money to an address, Right, that you you make a private key, you send the money to that address with the private key, and then you create a transaction that sends that money away again from that private key to to wherever you want to go. But you're sending that to a special script, and that special script, I guess, would have two conditions. One is you can spend it after three months in whatever way you want using your own keys, or before those three months, there is a, another script that will send it back. Something like no, that. Now you're saying back send it back again. Send it, send it to your next vault, I guess. But then how would that be secured? So, Well, I think that's an important concept. Before we get into the details. so I, But then and you burn the original private key. That's kind of where the magic happens. You have to burn the original private key so that that private key, the money is now in a place that you cannot spend it from because you don't have the private key. All you have is a pre-signed transaction that then makes sure that some other things happen in the future. Yeah. I just want to establish moving forward, we're going to let, let's agree on some terms because that will make it clear when we're trying to explain things. That sounds boring. No, this is important. Sure. This is vital. Okay. Okay. So let's say, you know, a vault, a vault is the first thing where you put the money and it's supposed to be kind of safe, but then we also have the super vault. That's like the backup vault that, so the super vault, I, I, I think that's terrible terminology because you probably your backup plan, like your if everything else fails, is not a vault. It is probably more simple but very secure multi-sig address. Well, that is a super vault then, right? Well, no, what, because what are we're, you we're using the word vault here to refer to a very specific sure, mechanism. No, no on one the is using steel boxes here. Like no, but the, uh, the multi-sig thing is a super vault, right? In my like, why is no? Because what, what do you want to call it? Because we're using the word vault here, not in the sense of the physical box but in the sense of a mechanism where you can undo slash undo the damage okay but so but when you do that when you invoke this undo function the money has to go somewhere and that does not have to be a vault in the same sense that i that we just defined a vault it can be any kind of secure setup but generally the trade-off there is that the, there is a place where you keep coins okay, that is extremely secure but extremely hard to access and that's not practical and you have another place that's a little bit less cold and that's where your vault is. So your vault is sort of an in-between phase between a, really a hot wallet and a super cold wallet. Right. Well, that that's exactly what I want to establish. So we just got to agree on terms, which seems is the hard part at this point. Yeah. And you can keep so the, keys, so the, let's say, in so a safe, vault, but the, not a vault. 
The fault is where you put the money at first, yeah? And that's kind of the smart contract thing in which we're going to explain. Yeah. But then we need to have the super secure backup, yeah. which we're calling the super secure backup then? Let's call it the super secure backup. Okay. So the idea behind the super secure backup is that it's super secure. And, the and it's and it's <laughs> but the the problem though is that it's so secure that it's actually kind of hard to use. So for example, you have a multi-sig setup that's you have several cold keys that are stored in different actual vaults in different countries. So it's super secure, but you can't actually use it day to day. Yeah. So that's why it's a super secure backup. And I think the context that, that most of the James O'Byrne paper was written for was the if you're an exchange. Because an exchange tends to have a hot wallet, which they need to use to pay customers quite quickly, but there's a lot of money in it. So they really have this issue where they want to be able to pay their customers quickly, but they're also sitting on a lot of money that they don't want to get stolen. And maybe they only realize it's stolen when it's too late and they want some sort of undo button. But they may also have access to a bunch of saves in the Arctic. It's just that if they ever have to send the money there, their hot wallet's going to be empty. And they have to wait three months to send some guy on a private jet. So they don't want to use the option, but they they want to have the option because it's better than losing the money. Yeah, I think your point there is if you are an individual that's just stacking sets and doesn't really use Bitcoin, you know, other for other than storing your wealth, you kind of only need the super secure backup. You didn't you don't really need the vault because you're not. Maybe it depends on your lifestyle. Maybe you have a, a super secure backup where you keep like billions of dollars and then you have a vault that you use just if you need to buy a Lambo or something like that, like the casual but still pretty high expenses. <laughs> and then you also have a lightning hot wallet that you use for ice cream. I mean, well, it, it just depends. Okay, we're getting super lost in the terminology. But, but, but what I would want to say is that to... vaults are not useful for daily transactions, I think. They're a little bit they're too tedious, even the ones that we're going to explain. Sure, so I'm still trying to establish, but I think there are three important parts of the terminology we need to establish. Mm -hmm. I think vaults we've established. That's a smart contract thing we're going to explain. Yeah. Then we got the super secure backup. Mm -hmm. And then you got the actual hot wallet. Well, I guess these aren't used in the James Auburn version. No, that right? last ingredient does not exist. So it's interesting right. to say that normally it does, or right, at least yeah. in the other concepts. So, right. So there's indeed, like you said, a hot wallet that. What you would do is you take money out of the vault and then instead of sending it wherever you want to send it, you first have to put it in a hot wallet. Your own hot wallet, yeah. Yeah, and that hot wallet, or I guess doesn't, well, let's just assume it's a hot wallet. You have to, with previous designs, you have to decide in advance what that hot wallet is and that's what you can send it to. And yeah. that, You mean the address, most obviously, right? So yeah. You, yeah. And what's, what's the problem with that? It's not very flexible and it means you have an extra step. It also means that if that hot wallet is compromised, then you can't send it to that hot wallet. Yeah, which is especially tricky because you might not know if it is compromised, right? Yeah, though, of course, the same kind of problem exists with the new proposal. So maybe it's not the most relevant argument, but it's good to point out. The, the, the biggest problem with these old vault proposals is that it's just very tedious. But maybe we want to get into that. We're getting into your... Sure, you're getting into weeds and you're skipping ahead of all kinds of explanations. Cool. I first, of, I wanted to establish. I just wanted to establish the terms we're gonna use. I think we've and done I that. I think we've done that. So we got the faults, we got the super sugar backups, and we got the hot wallets. Yeah. Even though hot wallets aren't really used in O'Byron's thing, but we still want to use the term to explain that it doesn't use the thing. Sounds good. Right. Okay. Now you've sort of explained how faults worked so far. Do you think that was clear enough to move to the next step? 
I'm I'm still a little bit unsure. So do you want to do you want to re-explain it? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, we were talking about pre-signed transactions, exactly. right? Exactly. I can I can re-explain it real quick, and that that should hopefully do the trick. So yeah, that what previous fault tricks used was you create a transaction that sends money that can be spent in one of two ways. Mm -hmm. So once this transaction is broadcast, it can either be sent, the, the money can either be sent to the super, super secure backup right away, or there's a time lock on it. And after a while it can be spent to the hot wallet or by the hot wallet. Yeah. Right. And like you said, the key here, pun not intended, but the key here is that you delete the key. So yes. you create this pre-signed transaction and then you delete the key. So from that point on, the only way to possibly spend these funds is to broadcast this un this unbroadcasted transaction. Now you broadcast it and now it can only be spent in two ways. Yeah. So now if you do that, sure, so if this is you're using the fault, then now you can keep an eye on the blockchain. And if you're, so, so you're just keeping the unsigned transaction for yourself, hopefully kind of yeah. secure on your laptop or whatever, whatever you consider secure. But then if your laptop is hacked and the hacker finds this transaction and he broadcasts it, now you see that it's being broadcast. You see that it ends up on the blockchain, but now you still have like three months to send it to your super secure backup yeah. before the hacker can actually take the funds. Exactly. And then I'm assuming that they also compromised your hot wallet, right? right? If they only find this, this transaction to get it out of the vault but not your hot wallet, then I guess your money just goes to your hot wallet and then you move it away. But there is this, this other condition where you can send it to your super secure setup and, and you have to get on your private jet and stuff. Right. Okay. The, the problem, there's a couple of problems with this design, but I think they all boil down to more or less the same problem, which is you need to pre-compute it and pre-sign it. So you need you, to pre-sign it. You need to make absolutely sure that the the private keys are gone because otherwise if somebody does find the private key, they can just make another transaction and it does not obey any of the smart contract rules you just thought about. And it's very unflexible, right? You can, you can take everything out or not. Or if you did want to split it, you'd have to think about in advance how you would want to split it and make all the pre-signed transactions to do the splitting also in advance. So you cannot just say, I want to buy this this thing. I'm going to send some coins out of my hub or out of the fault but leave some of it in it yeah i think that's the key word inflexible you you just have to decide beforehand basically everything ba mm -hmm. basically all the conditions and the amounts and where it's going which hot water which hot wallet everything has to be decided up front but there is a benefit what's the benefit Josh? it doesn't need a soft fork uh, yeah right that's that's a pretty big benefit because so there is a, James O'Barn recently made a proposal called Upfault. So that's a soft fork. Yes. And that has the downside, arguably at least, that it's a soft fork, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But then it's a lot more flexible. That's the main benefit, right? You, you can yeah. m treat it much more like an actual vault. You can just put anything in it anytime you want, get anything out of it anytime you want. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the, the core principle is still the same. Yes. If someone tries to steal something from your vault, you'll see it on the blockchain and you'll have time to send it to your super secure backup. Yeah. Do we want to explain this or do we want to explain the other proposals? Which other proposals? Should I? I, was, I was on my way 
I was Op well on my way of explaining this. What other okay. proposals are you thinking of? Well, using OpCSV or General Covenants. Oh, yeah. It might maybe. be better to explain it after because then we can contrast it. Okay, sure. So uh, we're we're going to go Opfold now. Yeah, yes. let's let's just steamroll ahead with Opfold at this point. Yeah, so we'll just take... Basically, because Opfold is really the simplest proposal, I would say, for a vault, but it is a soft fork, but it is a relatively simple soft fork. And what we can get then later to the discussion of why maybe you want a more complicated soft fork, a more general soft fork, yeah, rather there, than this very specific one. There are other types of soft forks, especially up CTV that could also enable vaults. Yeah. Yeah. So this, okay, this okay we're going to go to up vault. Yo, what is going on guys? We are proud to have voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what, Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even normie plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. George, what's in the Opvault output? Yeah, so the... We're, the, in, we're introducing a new opcode, which is Opvault. Exactly. What, what does it mean? What does it require? Yeah. Where so do we it, put it? It is not an output itself, right? So you put it in a script as you would anytime. So when you're creating an, a Bitcoin address, you're creating a script, and usually what you put on the blockchain is a hash of the script, right? But what the script... So when you're putting money in the vault... You're sending money to... You're sending, well, you're sending money to a taproot address. Yes, exactly. So, and that taproot address is a tree, and in that tree is a... One of the leaves in the tree is a script. Yes. And that script has... Part of that script is the new opvault opcode. Right. And this, what else is in there? Yeah, exactly. So, this thing takes two other things, or three other things. It takes a recovery thing. We'll, we'll talk about recovery later. It takes a time delay argument. So, it needs to know how many blocks the delay is supposed to be. Probably and, blocks or actual time, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And it takes the hash of whatever regular script you need to spend from your vault. So presumably you want, you know, to, when you use your vault, you also want to use a multi-sig or a single-sig or whatever you want to do for the normal condition. So you provide a hash of that too. And so then the question is, how do you spend this op vault thing? That's right. where op unvault comes in. So you... So now you want to take money out of your vault, basically. Mm -hmm. You create a transaction that says, okay, here is up unvault. Then first you're going to... So let's say you're you're spending money to me, okay? You you mm -hmm. got your money in the vault and I want money from your vault. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not trying to steal it. You're actually trying to send it to me in this exactly. case. Exactly. I'm trying to send it to you. So, so I, I give you my address, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But so. in the first step, I'm not actually using your address, not directly anyway. I am first, I'm, I'm saying up on vault, the, the magic word, basically. Then I will satisfy the script that I created earlier. So I have to provide a signature or multiple signatures or whatever script I provided the hash from. And then I have to repeat 
basically the delay. So so that's interesting. So you just gotta repeat how many blocks the delay is. Yeah, exactly. Or, or so if the, if the delay was a hundred blocks, you just gotta include a hundred again. Yeah, but here's the separation. It, it between, just has to match. Yeah, I think here's where the separation between the input and the output comes in, and why it's a magical covenant. So I think on the input, I'm guessing I just have to satisfy the script. I'm not entirely sure, but that's that's going to be my guess. But on the output, I have to put the unvault opcode. And then I have to repeat this spin delay, as we said. And then I have to say where it's supposed to go. And that is not your address, but the hash of your address in this case that you gave me. So this is really where, okay, where the magic so, is starting to happen. Because yeah. normally you think if you have an opvault opcode somewhere, then you can spend that and then it's done. You can do whatever you want. But that's not true. The opvault code says that you can only spend it if the output of your transaction has up unvault in it. Right. Unless it's the recovery thing. So how do I get the money source? Because now there's only a hash of yeah. my address on the blockchain. Exactly. Now there's only a hash allow. of your address on the blockchain. And there's this mysterious up unvault code, which probably is also hidden in a taproot, but that doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Well, the way you spend it, the way I spend it, is I have to wait for n blocks. Mm -hmm. And then I can create a transaction with no signature. Just I can just take the money. Anybody can take that money, in fact. But there's a, and again, the covenant is putting a restriction on the output side of the transaction saying, this can only go to wherever that hash refers to. Right. So if I fill in your address, it matches the hash. And it goes through. But interestingly, you could have made that transaction too. Yeah. So, well, in that case, you would have had to give me the transaction, I guess, right? But would I know what the transaction looks like? Or would you have... Uh, you probably would not have been able to guess because you don't know all the details for to make the taproot transaction. Right. So, so in you principle, would... anybody can make it. Once it's on the blockchain, I guess you could copy it and change it. But... Well, just to be clear, I think there we need to be clear about this, the different type of transactions that are involved here mm -hmm. so the first transaction is putting the coins in the vault mm -hmm. right and then there's a second transaction that's getting the money out of the vault but it's not yet sent yeah. to me exactly there, into, there's like an limbo. intermediate yeah there's an intermediate transaction this is recorded on the blockchain mm -hmm. as explicitly an intermediate transaction yep and then after some time has passed now there's a third transaction, and that's the transaction that's actually sending money to me. Yes. And this third transaction doesn't need to be signed or anything. The only thing that needs to happen is that the amount of time that was defined by the intermediate transaction and the original transaction, by mm -hmm. the way, that needs to have passed. That's yep. all that really needs to happen. Exactly. Well, and it okay. needs to go to the destination that was committed to in the, in the second transaction. Sure, it needs to go to my address. Exactly. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be valid, yeah. right? So it's completely, it's essentially it's predetermined, but you have to wait a while before you can send it on the internet. Yeah. And this is kind of like the hot wallet, the hot wallet that you see in these other fault designs, except it's not really a wallet. It's some sort of limbo place where your transaction briefly rests and then continues. Yeah, it, it's really a new kind of thing. Like this is probably the main new kind of thing. Well, this is the main new kind of thing in this proposal that there's this intermediate yeah. limbo transaction that can just be spent after some time and doesn't require any additional signatures after that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the, these are sort of the three main transactions, at least in the happy place. Yeah, in, and in, in the, the unhappy scenario. place, there is a recovery transaction. 
And this essentially just, because you've committed to the recovery script in advance, you've, you've basically told it, you can simply spend it with the recovery script. And, that, and then send it wherever you want, immediately. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what you're saying now. Well, so you can spend it by sending it to the recovery destination. I think that's it. So you can, you can always make a transaction that takes the money out of the vault and sends it to your recovery destination. And you've decided what that recovery destination is when you created the vault. Because uh, the, the first transaction... Well, you, you, you probably still need a signature for that transaction, right? Like you, Or is that always no, possible? No, I, I think not is it the, always the, the, i think it's optional but i think in principle if you if somebody else knows how your vault works they can trigger it but if you just keep that a secret they can't i see so anyone should be able to send well at, at least you should be able to send the money from your vault to your super secure backup anytime you want yeah and also and this is the important part i think you can also send the money to the super secure setup from the intermediate transaction exactly so you can either do it because you lost whatever ability you had to use the vault normally right but you can also take it from the intermediate transaction if you see that somebody is taking money out of your vault and you were not expecting it then you have x amount of days or hours or whatever it is to send your money to your backup destination so in that case that also requires nothing in particular? That requires no signature or nothing? It basically No, as far as I know, it doesn't. And there was some discussion on the mailing list about whether that's good or not. Because if you have multiple th coins in the same vault, then if you decide to pull one back to the backup location, then somebody else can go ahead and send all the other ones back. But that's probably what you want. But I think there is some option if you don't want that for some reason to, to opt out of it. Okay, because Let's, it all looks the same. So somebody, yeah, there's no permission needed. As, as if you know what the what the magic revocation transaction is, you can you can apply it. Okay, I'm I'm almost clear on all of this. I think okay. if if we got it right, at least then I'm almost clear. But let me sort of recap and walk through it one more time just to make sure that I actually understand it and it might help our listeners as well. So when you're first locking up the coins in the vault, there's three things you need to specify, right? Mm -hmm. One of them is the time delay. So that's that's easy. Everyone will understand that. And then the second thing is how to get it to the super secure backup. Yep. So what's actually I in, think what's just, actually in there? I think what? you're just putting the address or script of the super secure backup there. I as, almost as if you're sending it there. Right. Well, you're probably putting the hash of it there or not. Yeah. That probably yes. So you're probably okay. So you're putting the hash of the address. I mean, that's an implementation detail. Either is it? it's the hash or the address itself. Well, it's probably the hash. Well, if you no, the address is already a hash. So I think it's the same thing. An address is already the hash of either a public key or a script. So my guess is that the the thing you're putting in there is just the well, address. Well, if you put the address there, then it's super easy for everyone to just troll you and send your money to the vault. Well, if you put the hash there, it's not, right? Well... If you put the hash there, then you would actually need to know the address. Yeah, that's probably true, because I guess as, when you're creating the vault, nobody can see it, because it's just hidden inside the taproot tree, but as soon as you use the vault, people would be able to see it. Right. So well, I guess it's not the the exact hash, because that would indeed be a problem, but you'd not, have to read the Not the, the exact address is what you mean. Yeah, not the exact address, because that would be a problem, maybe. Not necessarily, but yeah, I guess then somebody else could take it out, so you don't want that. Okay, well, my, my quick yeah. recap is 
turning more into a brainstorm. <laughs> exactly. So, so the, the main point is you put something in there that tells you how it goes to the super secure backup thing, but we don't know exactly what you put in it. Right. So you put the delay in there that's required. You put it. That's kind of a cop out though, Shors. Like, shouldn't we know what you put in there? Do you even want to read the bib again? You put some magic in there. So you put the delay in there. You put some magic in there that shows you how to get it to the backup, the super secure backup. And then the third one was... Details. Whatever condition you have to spend it normally. So because you don't, your vault shouldn't be in anyone can spend address, obviously. Your vault should be just, I don't know, it should take a signature or multiple signatures. Whatever you usually do for your wallet is you have to tell the vault that. Right, got it. So that can be a regular signature. That, in most cases, that will probably be a regular signature. Yeah. Okay, got it. So that's the three things. A delay, instructions of how to get it, or a hash, or mm -hmm. <laughs> magic of how to get it to the super secure backup. And then the third thing is whatever you would usually do to be able to spend the money. Yeah, followed by op vault. That's how you get it into yeah. the vault, getting it out of the vault. Once again, use the op. Unvault. Yeah, but the op unvault is on the spending side of that transaction. So to get it out, you have to do something on the input side. And we're a little vague on that. But I think the only thing you need to do on the input side is just satisfy the script as you would normally satisfy a script, basically, the, the happy case script. And then the op vault code that you had before demands that the output of this intermediate transaction has certain qualities. The output has to contain an op unvault code. And that up unvault code then has to contain again the recovery stuff that we talked about. It has to have the delay again. And it has to have, and that's new, the hash of the outputs that you're going to send it to. So the hash of the final destination. Yeah, so that was the hash of my address in the example we gave. Exactly. Now in your case you could you know your address so you know what the hash is, but there might be multiple destinations, right? There might be paying to you and a few other people. So and that is followed by up unvault. And so that means that this transaction, when you then have the third transaction, it has to wait for a number of blocks because that's what the up unvault part ensures basically. And when you withdraw the transaction, again, you don't have to put in anything on the signature side. It's just a transaction that says, okay, you can take it now, but because it's a, a covenant, it demands that the outputs go to you. Okay. We've been over this twice now, and I think it's... It's super clear everybody understands this. Yes, that's what I think, yours. <laughs> Why is this better than what we have? So we oh, mentioned... oh, and one more thing. The amount I'm sending to you doesn't have to be the full amount of the vault. It can have change, and that change can go back to the same vault, trivially, without doing anything complicated. That would be address reuse, but at least it would be nice. Yeah, well, that's, I think, one of the main benefits, right? Because when we started... You can also do it without address reuse. You can just create a new vault, but then sending the change to that new vault would also have to go through that 30-day or whatever delay it is. So so there is normal change that you make in a transaction, but then you're taking everything out of the vault. And if you really don't want to have any address reuse, I would well, send some to you, and then the change would go back to me, but that's just another transaction, so it has to go through the delay okay. but there's, there's a special exception that if you send it back to the same vault the exact same address it doesn't have to wait change can go back immediately and the money that i'm sending to you will be in limbo you say address you reuse is it literally address reuse yeah because the vault is just an address 
You can make as many volts as you want, but one volt is one address. So if you want to spend part of a volt, part of an address, then the change, in order to do it quickly, has to go back to the same address. Is there a way of putting it in the same fault under a different address? Not as far as the blockchain is concerned, but if you have a wallet, then it can be smart. It can just, like you put in an XPUB and it could create multiple vaults and then it would just send money changed from one vault to the second vault. And they do would they use the same super secure backup? Well, assuming your super secure backup is also an XPUB, essentially, it would just... Let's say you're, you know, you would just use address number two of the XPUB as address number three of your super secure backup. So your super secure backup can be a can be a hierarchical wallet as well. So one address in your normal in your vault wallet corresponds to one address in your super secure backup. But it just depends on how you want to do it. You can also have one address as a super secure backup. Just means that if you ever use it, you're kind of doxing all your all your all your coins because they all go to the same place. Well, it's pretty. It's pretty flexible. The the proposal itself doesn't doesn't care. Well, what I'm kind of trying to get at is that I think one of the benefits of this proposal is indeed the flexibility. And I definitely read something along the lines of being able to use the super secure backup, and that there was a benefit there. It, there was some sort of aggregation going on. You would need fewer transactions. Something like yeah, that. If, does, if you're willing to this... reuse addresses, then it gets easier. Because I think there's there's might be multiple things you can do, if I read it correctly. One is that you can just send change immediately back to the vault without having to wait for 30 days, which means that if you want to pay multiple people in order, you don't have to wait for each of those to for the vault to finish. But I think the other one is that you can create a single transaction that combines stuff from multiple coins in your vault. So let's say you, you have your vault address and... 10 different people sent money to it, then I think you can combine all 10 of them and then withdraw them in like with just one intermediate transaction rather than 10. I think stuff like that is possible. But I'm, I don't I'm, know. You'd have to read the BIP and or I'm, improve the BIP. I'm, I'm definitely reaching the point where I feel like this would have benefited from having James on the podcast or something. Certainly, yes. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff we don't really understand, or at least that I don't understand. And that you also seem a bit iffy on still. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. But, well, but in at, any case, like people, there is a uh, white paper that James wrote. Like, I think if you Google O'Burn vaults PDF, you'll, you'll find it. And then there is a BIP that he wrote, which sort of specifies it precisely how it works, which also has some nice pictures in it. And you just broke your headphones. Uh, that's fine. Okay. And there is a implementation, like a, a draft example of how to put it in Bitcoin Core that you can play with. Now, generally what happens is this PDF white paper will be out of date because it was written a month ago and then the proposal keeps changing. So you probably want to read either the BIP or the implementation or the mailing list to figure out precisely what it can do or not. Can we just structure our episodes like this moving forward? That's much easier. We just say... Hey, there's just a new proposal. You go, can find go read it, it yourself. Read, read the mailing list. <laughs> yeah. Read the BIP. Have fun. See you in two weeks. Exactly. Now, do we <laughs> quickly want to get into how this contrasts to some other proposals? Oh my God, I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Do you think you still Fair. have to? Do you, uh, do you think you got the? 
power left the oomph to do that the energy uh, left not to do it for very long but what, uh, very not briefly to mention, not to mention the knowledge is yours f- very briefly there is a there's a two ideas roughly how to do covenants I guess there's multiple one is the OPCSV proposal by Jeremy Rubin and very TLDR this still requires you to pre-sign transactions but but it's a little bit a little bit more flexible a than, little, than well, how you would do here well also a little bit, bit a bit more blockchainy, right? You don't have the unsigned transaction that you need to store somewhere. Like the stuff is still actually on the blockchain. I think you still need to store unsigned transactions, just that you don't have to delete the private key. Mm. Because what you're, I think, what you're doing is you're creating a transaction that commits to a hash, and that hash represents the next transaction in the series, or like a, a tree of transactions. So you broadcast one transaction on chain, but this really represents future transactions that can be broadcast on chain later. But you still need to hold on to what those future transactions are, of course. Otherwise, the blockchain doesn't know. And so that you can implement a vault structure, as we discussed in the beginning, in that way too. But it still it still requires signing a bunch of transactions in advance. It's not it's not flexible, but it doesn't require you to have sort of toxic material. Basically, the idea of having a private key that if you forgot to delete it, or if it was already compromised, you'd be screwed. Yeah. So it's a little bit better. And the other thing you can do is create a more generic covenant. So now we've described this covenant can has some this opcode has very specific requirements on what the on what the outputs do of a new transaction, but you can make this very generic saying like okay, the only this transaction can only be spent by this specific kind of other transaction and uh, you can make that very abstract. And then using that very abstract system, you can then implement a vault. And there's two problems with that. One is that there is no such proposal, I believe. And at least it's not going to happen anytime soon because covenants are a little bit scary, especially with, with ideas like, oh my God, like you can put some condition in it that will sort of poison those coins for eternity because, you know, whatever they, wherever you spent them, they also have to meet the covenant. And the second thing, at least what James Byrne points out in his uh, PDF is that even if you do have a system like that, it's going to be complicated to build a vault. So the vault would not be a simple two opcode thing. It would be a much more complicated construction. And more complicated construction also means it uses more fees. So that's the argument for basically saying let's let's do a a very simple soft fork. Yeah. Which is up fault. Uh, that, that's the idea. Yeah. There's also there's a lot more we could get into, which I don't think we're gonna. <laughs> no, I mean gonna. we could explain how to do inscriptions and ordinals with this. No, no I'm I was just kidding. I was, we, you I cannot. Was, I was referring to the whole fee situation, which James has been writing a lot about. Yeah, this this There's whole combining transactions, you know, in series, there there are some subtle things about fees there that we're not going to explain. In in part because we don't know, and in part because we've been doing this long enough now. We've been doing the sort of guessing our way through the upfold proposal long enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's call it an episode then, Shores. I think at least it was somewhat clear in parts it, it may have given some people a slightly bigger clue of what a vault is and then hopefully specifically what upvault is and if you want to re- read more about the details then just knows where you can find it can you repeat for our dear listener yes you can see it in the show notes thank you for listening to bitcoin explained
My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.